0: I'm going to turn now to read the Bible. The, the words will be on the screen, but if you want to look it up in uh, your own Bible or on your phone or device on an app, uh, we're looking at Acts 16, verses 16 to 34. That's what we're going to read together. And then particularly, we're going to focus on verses 25 to 34, as we, we think this morning about what God wants to say to us in this service. So let's read from verse 16 of Acts 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us through her spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed, turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for light, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptised. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed that there's lots of things that we do all the time, that we take for granted or we see as ordinary. But if we dig into them a little bit, we discover they are actually quite extraordinary. For instance, holding your head up. Look around, pretty much all of us are holding our head up. Our head weighs around five to five and a half kilograms. It's, it's balanced on seven vertebrae. And it takes 20 muscles constantly working to hold your head up. Something very ordinary, but really isn't. Or frowning. Yes, looking out, most of you are frowning right now. Did you know it takes 43 muscles to frown? When you're tired, when you're grumpy, remember it only takes 13 muscles to smile. It's a lot easier to smile than it is to frown. Or let's think about taking one step just one step. From the time that we were young, we can take steps, well most of us can. It's just we get out of bed and we take a step. We stand up and we take a step. Did you know it? 200 muscles for that one step to happen. It seems very ordinary, but when you dig in, actually, it's quite extra ordinary. Today might seem very ordinary. Here's Sam and here's Fred. They've been coming to this church for a long time, since they were born. Their parents are Christian and have taught them about Jesus since they were born. They've learned about Jesus for years. And it might seem that just them coming up here and saying, we want to be Christians and we want to be baptized and we want to be part of this church, that might just seem a very ordinary thing. They've grown up here. Of course they want to be part of the church. Of course they want to learn more about Jesus. But I want to say this morning, there is nothing ordinary about someone becoming a Christian. There is nothing ordinary about someone becoming a believer in Jesus. There is nothing ordinary about someone coming to that place where they want to follow Jesus. Baptism is about someone becoming a Christian. Therefore, there is nothing ordinary about baptism. And I want to show you that today by having a look at the account that we've just read from verse 25 to 34 in Acts 16 about a Philippian jailer and his family and how they came to this place of becoming Christians and then being baptized. And as we do so, hopefully we'll see that there is nothing ordinary about today. So what does this passage tell us about today? What does this passage tell us about the significance of today? Well, first of all, it tells us that today is a day of monumental importance. Today is a day of monumental importance. The heart of this passage, the center of this passage, is a question that the jailer asks Paul and Silas. He covers this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the heart of the passage, that question. What must I do to be saved? Now, what question is he asking here? It's possible that he's asking, how do I get out of this sticky situation I find myself in? So he's a Roman jailer, and something has. From his perspective, bad has happened in the jail. All the locks have come off the doors. Um, <coughs> all the prisoners are now free, although they're still there. And as a Roman jailer, how, he would, how, how would he be treated when the Roman authorities discovered something like this? He would be killed. So That's why he's committing suicide at the point um, in the verse earlier. He would be killed if a prisoner escaped. So he's in big trouble in kind of... With the Roman authorities around him. So it could be he's asking, What do I do to get out of this sticky situation? Or he could be asking, How do I get right with God? How do I get right with God? Paul and Silas have been in Philippi, the city, for a while now. They've been teaching about God. And maybe the Roman jailer has heard about that, he's heard their message. And now it's suddenly all making sense. And he's asking the question, how do I get right with God? The slave girl earlier, the reason why Paul and Silas are in prison, she was saying they are servants of the Most High God. And the salvation that they are teaching, this is what it's all about. Maybe he's heard that. Or maybe it's simply that the prison has been shaken violently and he realizes this is a work of God. And he's afraid. Is he asking, how do I get out of this sticky situation with my superiors? Or is he asking, how do I get right with God? I don't think we can actually answer that question from his mind because we're not told. But we do know what question Paul answers. Look at verse 31. Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What's the significance of that? Well, let's just take a step back. The Bible begins with creation. The Bible begins with God making everything and making everything perfect and good. That's how everything starts. And then as we get through chapter 1, chapter 2, and into chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve and they sin against God. They break his commands. And the result is? that they are ashamed, there's a separation between them and God, and the whole world in which we live is then put under a curse. That's the world in which we live. And as their children are born, their children are born in sin, with a natural rebellion against God, and a desire to do what is wrong in God's sight. And that's the case all the way down to us. And so the Bible teaches that we're born separated from God, we're born sinners in his sight, and that we can't do anything about that. I don't know how many of you um, car drivers have ever aquaplaned. I remember the first time I aquaplaned it, I'd only been driving, well, i passed my test the year before, and then I got a car, I'd only been driving about a month or two, and I came down from... um, Watford Underground Station, there's a hill that goes under the the bridge, the train line, and uh, there was a big puddle, and I didn't know what aquaplaning was, I had no idea about it, and so I hit this puddle, and the car just span, and span, I had no control, I could do nothing about it, well the Bible says we are spinning towards judgment with God, and we can do nothing about it, but the situation isn't hopeless, Because God has done something about it. God came into this world in the person of his son. God came in Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who died for our sin, who rose again and invites us to come and put our trust in him. And if we do, we will be saved from our sin, made right with God. And our future is not judgment, but it's eternal glory with Jesus. That's the question that Paul answers. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But I want you to realize today is not ordinary. Something monumental has taken place in Sam and Fred's life. They've been saved from their sin. They've been made right with God. And that is pictured in the baptism. As they go under the water, they're washed clean of their sin. And they are no longer careering without, out of control into judgment from God, but they are held in his loving arms as his children. And you know, the same can be true for every single one of us here. That invitation, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's no limits on that invitation. Paul doesn't say, if you are this kind of person, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. No, any kind of person, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So it's a day of monumental importance. Secondly, it's a day of miraculous power. It's a day of miraculous power. There are two miracles in this chapter in isaiah 64 verse 1 there's a prayer i love this prayer it says if only you would tear the heavens open and come down the prayer is that god would tear open the heavens and step into this world and do something there are two occasions in this story where we see that clearly god tearing open the heavens and doing something the first miracle i want to call the attention grabber it's the earthquake in verse 26 Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. It's night time, all the prisoners are in their cells, they're locked away, the jailer's in his house next door and suddenly there's this great, massive earthquake. Now how many of you like getting birthday presents? Anyone? Anyone? Only a few. Look, notice everyone who's got their hands down. Don't buy them birthday presents. What do you like doing when you get a birthday present? You, you hold it in your hand. It's wrapped. Are you someone who just goes straight in there and unwraps it? Or are you someone who gives it a little shake? Anyone give it a little shake? I remember one occasion my grandparents bought my aunt a present. And she gave it a bit more than a little shake. And the shock on their face, because it was a decorated egg. That, and it was broken when she opened it. But here's his God basically taking the prison and shaking it violently. And shaking the locks out and shaking the, the, the stocks apart. So that all the prisoners are free. That's a miracle. And as God does that, he grabs the attention of the jailer. There's also a second miracle in this passage. And it's found in verse 33 to verse 34. The jailer took them. So they've answered this question about how can I be saved? They taught something from the word of God. And then the jailer took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family... Were baptized. Why were they baptized? Well, the next verse tells us he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. They were baptized because they now believed in God. So, so they've heard about Jesus. They then believe Jesus. Oh. I'd love to hear the conversation when they say, now we want to get baptized. Where do we go? We know there's a river outside Philippi. Did they kind of go in the middle of the night to the river? Or is there somewhere else where they could be baptized? But they've, they've heard and they believed and they baptized. Can you see the miracle? Can you see it? No. But it's there. If we go a little bit earlier in the passage, we see something... That has to happen for someone to move from hearing to believing. And if it's not there, that step won't take place. Early in the passage, the first person that Paul shared the gospel with, that we know of in Philippi, was a lady called Lydia, who was at a place of prayer. And we're told in verse 14, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. And this is what happened. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. See, the Bible teaches that because we're born in sin, we are born deaf and blind to spiritual things. And in order for us to understand the gospel in a spiritual way and to trust in Jesus, God must enable us to see and to hear. I remember talking to a surgeon once, an eye surgeon, who who said that um, from his perspective, the the best pound-for-pound surgery that you can do is cataract surgery because it 's relatively cheap it 's fairly quick, but it makes a massive difference when, when the cataract grows across your eye and and the kind of the scales come down on your eye, and your vision slowly goes until the point where you cannot see and Then the surgeon comes in and slices away the lens and puts a new lens and after a little bit of recovery, you can see such a difference. Well, for us to see the truth of Christ, God has to remove the scales and put a clear lens in place. He has to open our ears so that we can hear. Or, or in this case, it's described as a new heart that's given. In the Old Testament, it speaks about the heart of stone being taken away and a heart of flesh that's given. For someone to move from hearing to believing requires a miracle. It requires God stepping in and doing something in their life. And so we have two miracles in this passage. There is the attention grabber, the earthquake. But there is the changed heart, as the jailer and his family come to believe. And I want you to realize that today, this is not ordinary. Think of Sam and Fred's testimony. Do you notice the miracles? Do you notice the miracles that were there? The attention grabber. It's a little bit more subtle than picking up the prison and shaking it, but it's still there. One of the things that we notice here as our young people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is as we hear their testimonies... um, it almost sounds like it's scripted. It isn't, but they all say, "I used to go to the clubs and Sunday schools. It was fun, and I enjoyed the games, fizzy drinks." That's the first time that's been mentioned. But uh, I enjoy the games, but then suddenly I started listening to the teaching. Why? Because God has grabbed their attention. God has done something. And then there comes a point, and it might be gradual, it might be, it might be sudden, it's different for different people. And it's, God just leads us in different ways. But there comes a point where that person puts their faith in Jesus. Why? Because God has done a miracle. And opened eyes and opened ears and changed the heart so that they can believe. Sam and Fred are getting baptized today because God has done something dynamic and massive in their hearts and in their lives. This would not be possible if god hadn 't worked so it 's a day of miraculous power and then thirdly it 's a day of massive joy it 's a day of massive joy look at verse thirty four he the the Philippian jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. He is happy, he is joyful because now he believes in God, because now he believes in Jesus, because now he has been saved. I think that's important. Knowing Jesus brings joy. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In God's presence is joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. There are different emotions or different ways that Christians should be in Christ. That There should be a sense of a seriousness about a Christian. Because God is holy. You know, as we come together to worship, we worship our holy God. and so there should be a, a certain sense of seriousness. There should be occasions of weeping and crying, because we are sinful, and the world is broken, and that should grieve our hearts. But we should also be happy and joyful. Because God is good, and in Christ we're forgiven, and we know Jesus, who is the source and giver of joy. I remember one testimony at a baptism, not not at this church, at a a different church. A a lady who had started coming to church with her daughter, then she'd become a Christian and been baptized, and then she shared her testimony. How did all this happen? And she said one day she was walking down the street outside the church building, and she noticed the people coming out. And what she noticed about them was they were smiling. And each Sunday morning, she would do that same walk. And every time they came out, they were smiling. And what brought her to come into church and hear the message was, I want to be happy like they are happy. Being a Christian is a joyful thing. Knowing Jesus brings joy. But I want you to notice, if we go right to the beginning of this passage in verse 25. Verse 25. Knowing Jesus brings deep joy. Here we find Paul and Silas in prison. I want you to imagine you're one of the the prisoners, the other inmates who are there. Um, You've been there a while. I'm not going to tell you what you're in for. You can imagine what you're in for. Um, But you're feeling pretty miserable. It's a horrible place. It's damp. It's dark. It's dirty. The food is not the best. Um, They didn't. I had the five-star chef, and they've just got a one-star one now. So the food is not the best. <laughs> and everybody is pretty grumpy and angry. And in come these new inmates, and you know what's going to happen to them. They're either going to be sad, or they're going to be angry, or maybe they'll be that group that had the quiet acceptance. Sad, angry, quiet acceptance. But then... They start singing. They start praising. And there's joy coming from the central cell where they are. What is going on? How can that be possible? Because they know Jesus. And Jesus gives a joy that can be experienced and known even when our circumstances are at their most tragic. It's a deep joy. So we gather today, this is not ordinary. There's something monumental. Sam and Fred have been saved from sin. There's something miraculous God has worked in their life, and there is something massive. God has opened the door a joy that is out of this world, a joy that Sam and Fred are tasting, but over their years we pray that they will know more and more deeply. And then for us all as we step into eternity, if we're in Christ, we will experience in its fullest measure. And can I say again today, the same can be true for you. That invitation in verse 31, there are no limits Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Baptism, what is it? It's getting in a pool of water, going under, coming back up. Done it in the swimming bars many times. Very ordinary, isn't it? But the reality it speaks of is extraordinary. Today is a day of monumental importance, miraculous power, and massive joy. Can I say, if this is something new to you or different to you, uh, maybe you have questions. If you do, please do ask them. Don't feel you can't. Ask me, ask someone here that you know from the church. Please don't feel that you're putting on us by asking those questions. We love to talk to people about Jesus. And we'd love for you to ask us those questions. Shall we pray? Father, help us to see today as you see it. Help us to understand today in terms of the gospel and what has taken place in in lives in Fred and in Sam, what you have done in them and what you have now brought them into by bringing them into Christ and into your family, into the joy of knowing you. Father, let us celebrate that as we baptize them in a few moments. Amen.